With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FBF Podcast. It's in the game, and I'm Matt Chatham. I'm joined, as always, by my partner, Brady Quinn. Brady, how are you, buddy? I saw that uh, Iowa State did not get beat 70-10. to 10. It was mildly more competitive. <laughs> how was that game? Uh, yeah, it, it was mildly competitive. I thought TCU, <laughs> um, you know, got off to a faster start than they had weeks past. So it was entertaining for the first half, not so much second half. Um, but right. overall, uh, g- g- good time, good experience. I'm ready to talk about the NFL, though. And, and look, you sent me a rundown, Matt. And, and, uh, and I know. in this rundown, we don't have any conversation about the Cleveland Browns. So let me just hit I... on it very quickly. <laughs> get, yes. 26 starting quarterbacks since 1999. And, oh, by yeah. the way, who do they sign to give them some sort of reassurance in case Kessler gets hurt? Charlie Whitehurst, 11-year veteran. How about this, though? Only nine touchdown starts Jesus. in his career. He's, yeah, touchdown Jesus. He's 2-7 and seven in those starts. So it boggles my mind when people are like, no, 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 no. We've got a veteran quarterback to back him up. He has nine starts in 11 years. That is not experience. Right. There was other people out there that could have got. It's just unbelievable. It's the Cleveland Browns. And, look, the fact of the matter is, Charlie Whitehurst is probably going to be starting a game at some point this season if RG3 doesn't come back and if Josh McCown yeah. can't come back, depending on how bad the damage is. So just another typical season in, in Cleveland. Week three, their third new starting quarterback of the season. It's amazing, dude. I, I see that. And the thing that's that's tough when I'm putting these things together, and this has been a weird week. I mean, I know I'm obviously on with a with a former uh, college and pro quarterback here, and I'm like, you know what? I'm plowing through all the big stories that we've been talking about through the weeks, and I'm like, every single one's a damn quarterback. <laughs> like, there's a lot of legitimate <laughs> interest stuff. Like, maybe the fact that I, I don't know anything about quarterbacking, but – uh, this is the stuff that interests me as well. It's really been a weird couple of weeks, and now we're into the third. And, and you mentioned it; Cleveland's just another one of those situations. But I don't know if you, well, I, we will stay on that before we dive into the rundown. One of the things I saw that I really liked is I dug McCown's uh, interview. Did you hear that the, the, the little clip of him uh, yeah, just, talking about how he didn't want to come out because he's only got so much time left and the guys depended on me? I mean, those are the kind of things you don't generally hear on teams that are losing. Well, and, and look, I just had a baby, you know, you've, you've got a family. And the powerful thing to me was the fact that, you know, he talked about the fact he's like, look, my, my dad and my brother, they go to work when they, when they're kind of banged up and yeah. they still grind through it. And, and he goes, you know, I'm trying to teach my sons what toughness is. And, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to be a hypocrite. So he's living that out. I thought that was actually really powerful dude. to me, not to get sappy, like listening to him talk, dude, I, I started to get kind of choked up. And maybe it's just because of the fact yeah, that I'm, like, no. I'm all emotional and everything. But it was, it yeah. like pulled at my heart thinking to myself, dude, I would give anything just to get back out there and play with a group of guys and play in the NFL again um, just to share that experience because that bond is so unique and you never experience it again. Uh, so I could relate with him. And, and just from the aspect of being a man and a father, 
you know, and wanting to live out the example you want to leave for your kids. That's what I thought was so powerful, so awesome about everything he had to say. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And and one of the things that and you and I do share this, that uh, you had your, your first child after you were done playing. I had my first child in my last year in New York. So he was like a, you know, training camp baby. He, he was, I technically he yeah. was in the tent, but I don't remember that feeling of uh, what McCown gets to, to sort of live to say, Hey, my kid actually, I can go home and talk to him about this stuff and he can sort of rationalize what, what I'm talking about or internalize, excuse me. And, you know, I need to set this example. I never got to do that for my kids. So I, I would, I wondered that and I played with a lot of guys and I'm sure you did too, had children while they were playing and, you know, got to run off the field and play with them afterwards. And I, I, I that's the one thing I kind of regret uh, that, you know, I didn't get to experience that. Hey, watch me this weekend, buddy. And when I did hear that's the lesson, you know, and it, so that was cool. I'm like, you know what? I, I, I envy him, but then I also am really, really impressed with the kind of dude he is because man, I, I've been on bad teams and, and there's, there's, you need more of those, <laughs> you know, and usually yeah. there aren't a lot. Yeah, but. there's no doubt about it. All right. All right, well, we'll head in here into uh, sort of some of the hot topics that are around there. And, you know, this show is – this podcast is obviously there for download forever into perpetuity, but uh, people will still be listening to this on Friday and Saturday and, and even into Sunday after the Patriots game has concluded. The Patriots play on Thursday now against the Houston Texans, so some of you will catch part of this at the end of it. But what caught me interested in that game beyond just the matchup and – and all the quarterback talk was the injury situation and how this new, de- new designation that the league voted upon or whatever and decided to institute and how it sort of comes into play with this Garoppolo stuff. Now, uh, before we get into – well, here, I'll tell the backstories for people here that are listening to the show that, that don't know, but Garoppolo injures his shoulder, obviously, in the, in the game against the Dolphins last weekend, uh, blows an AC joint. So he strains it, some sort of sprain, but there's certain amount of sort of uh, muck around how bad, you know, they don't want to let on anything. Coach Belichick is playing sort of coy, which he always does, which I think is funny. <laughs> but basically, here's what happens. So he gives out to the very first practice, and you know how it is, Brady, on when you have these Thursday games. Basically, the, the Thursday week of practice is it, it's a couple of walkthroughs, and then you fly, or either then you go play the thing. So this is the first time now where this new designation that the league's voted on kind of comes into play because a lot of the world is wondering, is this dude going to play? The You know, there's leaks to Adam Schefter and all those kinds of things that the team's still hopeful. There's an expectation and this new rule, right? So they've dropped the, the probable designation. That doesn't exist anymore. So the old Tom Brady listed every week for every season for the shoulder, but probable that no longer exists. But there was also this following change, which I, I found kind of interesting. Previously, I'll just read it verbatim from the league release. Previously, the questionable category reflected a 50-50 likelihood of playing and doubtful meant a 75% a seventy-five percent chance the player wouldn't play. That's gone now. So here it is. Now, questionable simply means that it is uncertain as to whether the player will play in the game. Uncertain if he'll play. And doubtful means it's unlikely. So rather than snapping percentages on it, basically, they've said (laughs) there's two categories now, uncertain and unlikely. And I'm thinking in my head, wow, that's just like putting it on a tee for Coach Belichick because, you know, anything can be uncertain. (laughs) Any degree of uncertainty is still uncertain. So he comes out there today, and and, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was not there for media viewing. And so, you know, a lot of people are speculating, oh, he's not even out there for the walkthrough practice. He's clearly not playing. But then he just gets listed as a limited participant, which means apparently he did come out after the media left. 
And now uh, he's going to go into this game, and I think there's a high likelihood, based upon coaches' his comments, that they're, they'll list him as questionable, which no longer has to be 50-50. It can be anything less than unlikely. <laughs> so all you have to do is feign hope. Uh, I just, I'm curious on sort of your, your interpretation of this, if it's just fun and games and it really doesn't have a lot of effect, how Vegas maybe takes it, or is there a new loophole here that the teams can kind of monkey with? You know, it's interesting. You, you've talked about this uh, before when this, this for, the change first came about. And I, I'm kind of surprised because, to me, I, I think it's, it's more impactful the fact that Mike Zimmer was able to go into week two and not have to name a starter until Sunday. And like, like right. I actually think that, as far as the depth chart, has a, more impact, it has a big, greater impact on teams than, than kind of the, the change in des- designation on the injury report because – you know, you've, we've seen the New England Patriots in particular in the past, you know, have Tom Brady on the injury report forever. Um, and and right. he's continued to keep playing. Um, so, so I don't know how much validity a lot of teams want to read into it. I think they go into it basically saying, we expect the best players to play. So I am sure right now, if you're the Houston Texans, you're preparing for Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and here's why I actually think that the Jimmy Garoppolo should want to be trying to do everything he can to come back and play Besides the obvious, it's the, it's the fact right. that, look, in, in two games, this is Tom Brady's team again. This is the last right. opportunity he really has to showcase meaningful snaps against good opponents and, and, and at home, too. When else are you going to have the same type of advantage that you're going to have? One, when you're kind of on a hot street right, right now as far as how you've been playing and how your team's been performing. You know, so you got, and you got them at home in the short week. So the advantage is to New England, not to Houston. And then the flip side of that, you're going to have an extra long period of time to prepare for the Buffalo Bills, a team that's really swimming right now. So right. if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm doing everything I can to try to make sure that I have a shot at playing Thursday night. And, I, and I'll tell you what, from dealing with this injury, you know, it comes – everyone's different. But it comes down yeah. to the inflammation within the AC joint. If there's no structural damage and there's no harm of hurting it any worse, shoot that baby up, man, and go play. Go shoot earn it up, some man. money out there. So don't get it twisted. I mean, I understand the New England Patriots know what they have in Jimmy Garoppolo, but – the other teams are curious to see how he responds and, and if, you know, if he can play and strap together you know, a good four games. Um, these are limited opportunities he has right now to really build his resume. So I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't try to take a shot to play. And, and that's what I actually think, just to go back to the very beginning, it, it was more interesting to me when teams don't necessarily have to you know, designate a starter until the day of a game because now you're talking about the norm, in a normal seven-day week that a team's trying to prepare for whichever guy and all that, you know, they're essentially just saying, all right, I guess we're going to compare, you know, prepare for Sean Hill or Sam Bradford. They might have said, all right, we're going to prepare for Sean Hill. Well, you know, they're going to rush him differently. They're going to maybe play some different coverages depending on his tendencies um, compared to Sam Bradford. And and that's what I thought was actually more interesting is is how Mike Zimmer really wasn't forced to until game day. To have to make a decision who that starter was going to be, I think that has a greater impact as far as, you know, going out the course of a week and, and a team trying to prepare to game plan, and now things may have to change or adjust on game day because of who they're able to name. Not so much the injury report. Yeah, it's just I, I guess the thing to me that's that's extra interesting interesting about this is that it comes into play on a short week, so the information's bad and the time is even worse, right? So that uh, you can and and also there's a there's a familiarity here. Uh, and again, some people are going to be hearing this after they already know the answers, but Bill, Billy O'Brien obviously knows how 
things happen around here. They're going to be coy with that information. They're only going to tell you what they're absolutely required to tell you. So uh, I just, I think it'll be interesting because you have to, I think a lot of this is sort of preemptively done, you know, at least when I was there and I think the Jets did this as well. But when you know you have that Thursday game coming up, uh, you know, I was talking to guys on the field after the Dolphins game here just last week and, you know, they were already, they were rushing home. They were going to get stuff downloaded to their tablets or whatever. And a lot of that advanced scouting has already happened. You know, they've, they've started to kind of do a late night or two in the week before to put a template together that they, for a game plan for the short week that may change just slightly, you know, based upon what happens in their game, if something crazy happens and their feelings change, but in the event that it doesn't, they've sort of have the, the framework for something that they're going to already do. So it's just crazy that, you know, in the, in the course of two walkthroughs and having to deal with two pretty dramatically different quarterbacks, especially when Jimmy now has seen pressure in a couple of weeks and the pressure packages didn't seem to phase him. So you're probably not going to do as much of that, but uh, the other guy, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's taken 20 snaps in the NFL and he's only been to Foxborough for a matter of months. So uh, that would be pretty dramatic. Knowing the answers to which of the two go there, it might be an entirely different game plan and you really don't get a chance to work on either. So it's just weird that it hit this particular week. But I'll, I'll move on to another thing. So here, it's, it's great to have you on the line here specifically because you've dealt with the AC. I've dealt with the AC. Uh, I just had to hit stuff. So I numbed mine up and it was fine. But I absolutely could not have thrown a thing when I had that. <laughs> so um, to each his own, maybe my, it was just a little more. I, I, I couldn't raise my hand above my ear. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get it up. Like I, I wore a pad. It was just, it was crazy. And I, I, the game I played, I was, this is my, my year in New England and I was scared to keep my job, you know, like I, I had to play. I went out and I practiced and every time, every time my shoulder hit, I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> you know, just pain yeah. shooting through my arm. But once I got to the game, yeah, you took the tour all, took a couple of Vikes and uh, you know, you make it through. And I just went out of my way to not use it. You know, like I'd tackle with my head on the other yeah. side. I'd, you know, I'd favor it, all those kinds of things. But as a quarterback, whew, yeah. good luck. As like you said, I just well, just matters to the de- degree. Yeah, and the hard part is, even if you you drug it up, you kind of feel like you have a little bit of a dead arm, right? Um, there's some right. nerves that that's run throughout there, and that that's where you get the pain from. And I think a lot of times, you know, I dealt with both in college and the NFL. Um, when you get a separation of that A joint or a sprain of that A joint, a lot of times when it subplexes, um, you know, a lot of times you end up having a lot of inflammation and pain around that nerve and you can do all you want to numb it up and all that, but it's not going to still function and operate the same. And like I said, it's more about, you know, how someone recovers and how they can reduce the inflammation. It's, it's pretty tough to do when you're talking about the shoulder socket. Um, it just usually takes a little bit of time and you can use, you know, high level anti-inflammatories, uh, what indocin stuff like that. But yeah. at the end of the day, um, everyone's body's going to adjust differently. And it's just unfortunate that it falls on a short week. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo will definitely be ready for week, you know, week four versus the bills at home. Uh, I, I don't yeah. know that he will be ready on Thursday, but you better believe, I mean, at least I would be thinking in my mind, I'm going to do everything I can to get one more opportunity to kind of show out um, th- with the great opportunities that I'm going to get basically backing up Tom Brady. Yeah, no, I, I know that's in his head. I think he's he's desperate to get out there, but he wants to be smart too. I mean, I always wonder if the flip thing could work against him if he's just so hard-pressed to get that extra game in and he goes and plays terribly. Does it undo all the good thoughts that people might have had about him for the past two weeks? I mean, he, he doesn't seem like the kid that's just thinking about his future now. I think he's trying to trying to help and do the right thing. But uh, the, the oddball part here is there – I mean, again, people may know the answer to this once, once, uh, once the show runs, but – 
you know, they're not bringing another guy in. So it's it's Jacoby Brissett and, and and Jimmy. There's no other quarterbacks on the team, and they they brought in T.J. Well, Yates on uh, on Tuesday, but it's Julian Edelman is your backup basically, or A.J. Derby yeah, look, potentially and, guys that didn't call yeah, it. And, and and Edelman was you know a, a 3,100 yard guy between rushing and passing his last year at yeah. Kent State. I mean, he was I think he threw what 11 touchdowns, made 10 interceptions, something like that. Uh, I can't quite recall the stat off the top of my head, but you know, he wasn't prolific, but, he, you know, he's, he's suitable. And we, he's, he's demonstrated the ability to throw the football in the NFL um, on a couple of occasions as a wide receiver. You know, what that will look like in an emergent scenario, who knows? Uh, and, and maybe, you know, it's going to be a scenario where Jimmy Garoppolo does dress and, you know, he, he might not be able to drop back and throw the football around, but he can hand the football off, maybe throw a couple short passes, get you out of the game. I mean, Jacoby Brissett didn't really push the ball down the field when he came in. He ended the football off and threw a couple of screens and some short passes. Maybe Garoppolo, yep. if he needs to in an emergency situation, can do the exact same. Yeah, that's it's interesting. And the the quarterback designation too, they still allow you to do the what is it? The he doesn't count as forty six or whatever. So no, Jimmy dressing they got rid of that. They got rid. That's of right. That that's gone. In the, in the that's last right. CBA, yeah. so that's actually why a lot of teams have gotten rid of having three quarterbacks on their active roster. Right. Uh, for that yeah, very reason, there, I mean, yeah. it, it cut out probably a third of the uh, the veteran quarterbacks in the league for that reason. But you know, it's funny. You know, you were talking about how it's going to affect Jimmy Garoppolo. It, it's and you mentioned that you don't want to go out there on the field, right, and, and possibly play poorly, which kind of transitions to Jay Cutler and his thumb, because supposedly right, exactly. he hurt it before that strip sack. And and to me, it was like, well, if that's the case, why do you stay in the game? Because the, the interception to Nigel Bradham just looked like a bad throw, bad read. It didn't look like you were yep. necessarily affected by your thumb. Maybe he was. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to put myself necessarily in his shoes, but if that was the result and that's how bad he was going to be able to throw the football, um, it, it kind of makes sense because Alshon Jeffers is like 10 yards behind Nigel Bradham, and that ball was going to be nowhere near him, even if Bradham somehow didn't catch it or tipped it or went through his hands. Um, so you got to wonder, too, uh, in, in regards to Jay Cutler and how he's dealing with his injury, um, you know, when he'll be back and if, if and when he does come back, if it even matters for him as far as his future in Chicago, given that they don't really owe him a whole lot after the season. I'm curious, again, this sort of back to the things you can answer that I'm, I'm just more, you know, I don't know. Uh, so when, when you were, okay, so say you've got a, a thumb issue, not that you know exactly what his is, but you've got thumb pain of some sort. What are the things that, that in the event that you have it, you can do? And what are the things that's like, oh, if your thumb's jacked, getting under center maybe a little harder or, or a particular kind of throw, or there's some throws where, you know, I can ease off the thumb pressure and still deliver it. Where does it really, really come into play and, and, and when can it be a problem? Well, I mean, look, the hardest part about all this is if, if you look at how a quarterback grips a football, there's essentially three fingers. If you want to consider the thumb a finger um, that are most important to the grip of it, it's your index, it's your middle and it's your thumb. So those three fingers basically comprise the majority of your grip, your pressure, and really when you're talking about throwing the football, your index finger touches it last, uh, you know, combined yeah. with your, your middle finger, but your, your thumb's on there, and the timing is, is milliseconds as far as how it comes off your hand. And your thumb plays a huge factor in that. So depending on how severe the sprain is, you can try taping it up. Um, but beyond that, you know, one of the things that you, you teach young quarterbacks is you'd like to have a little bit of space in between your index finger and your thumb, right? You don't want the ball to be just laying in your palm. Well, if you immobilize right. your thumb, you really limit your ability then to be able to put the ball in your fingertips the, the way it should be properly placed in order to throw the ball accurately 
and with some zip on it. So that's the one issue he's going to have to face, depending on how um, he's going to try to come back from this injury. But you mentioned it with snaps. I mean, you know, with Dell Loggins' um, offense right now, they're kind of taking a lot from shotgun, and I think Jay Cutler might even prefer that with as bad as his offensive line's been. Um, so, so I don't know if that's going to be as big of an issue, but there's no doubt, you know, when you're putting your hand in the center, if you're a right-handed quarterback, you're putting your right hand, that top hand, where, which is his, you know, thumb, he's putting that, you know, down the seam of that center's pants and that guy's snapping up to hit that spot. He wants to hit you right, right. across basically the underside <laughs> of your knuckles. And that's where he wants to put the laces. So you're going to feel that pressure. It's going to hurt. You're going to clamp with that left hand to secure the snap. Um, but you'd you'd imagine that it'd be pretty painful to have to sit and take a snap, especially from a rookie in Cody Whitehair, who's one never played the position before until this year in the NFL, and then two, um, you know, he, he's not going to be able to vary up his, his snap because he's not really that experienced at playing center. So, um, yeah. you know, they're kind of in a tough predicament, and and I'll be curious to see when he chooses to come back. You know, I think he's on borrowed time as it is right now, and they and they looked awful, and I don't know how many games the, the Bears wind up winning this season in general after their performance last night versus the Eagles. Yeah, it's a it's a tough spot. And you know, I actually got to see these guys up close for a few days because they did the inner squad thing with the Patriots. And the first thing that struck me is like, man, Jay can make throws. And then I also was like, you know, Jay is 30 or whatever he is now. And he still <laughs> makes just some crazy decisions where it's like this guy just doesn't. He just he his care with the football is a is a little different than most. Just put it that way. Where he would just stare right at the yeah. linebacker and he's like, I'm gonna try to throw it by his ear. I'm like, dude, he's you know. <laughs> so it just seems like that's still sort of an issue for him. And I guess in the event that you have something that's a little debilitating with your actual hold, shoot, and you're already a guy who kind of has issues with turnovers anyway. Wow, that you know. I would I'd be freaked out about doing it. And I was actually really glad you brought up the point about space between the space between the fingers on the ball because my kid, uh, my eight year old with uh, the basketball, this is like a huge issue. You know, catching everything with his palms and just <laughs> everything he gets the hand. <laughs> Gotta get that space, buddy. It's all the difference in the world. The that flat hand thing just doesn't work. It, it, it's hard though. It, it takes some time, right? I mean, those are digits. Those are small muscles that you fine tune and really you perfect over the course of your life. Um, and that's why, you know, you got to work with your kids to have to do different ball drills and kind of build up that grip strength and really just that ability to have dexterity and all that. But it all depends on the hand size. You know, that's going to play a factor. If a guy has a small hand, you know, and he's trying to grip an NFL football, he, he's going to have right. a hard time getting much space in between his palm. Uh, so he's going to be, it's, it's going to be a little bit more in his palm. But for a guy of, of you know, Jay Cutler's size, he should have a big enough hand where he wants to have a bit of right. a gap so he can spin that football. Can you just slide off the back of the ball a little bit more if thumb's bothering you? Get away from the meat in the center? Does that help? I mean, if you go back to – like I was always a guy who would – just playing catch and shit, but like, you know, I'd go maybe two stripes in, you know, two two things on the laces. What if you just scooted all the way to the back? Was You know, is that helpful or is that stupid? <laughs> Uh, you could try. There's two issues. One, for him to make any sort of change over the course of practice, that might happen, but he's not going to do it in a game. The last thing in his mind is going to be how he's right. gripping the football in a game. Um, and, right. and his body, you know, with the adrenaline and the drugs and all that, it would try to adjust back to how he's, you know, done it. I mean, we're all creatures of habit. And you always revert back to your greatest form of training. So, un- unfortunately, there's no way of changing his grip that actually in a live game scenario, when the live bullets are flying, he would actually be able to adapt to it. Right, you just grab it and fling it, right? Okay, so yeah, we'll much. move on here. It's been a lot of, lot of, uh, 
lot of dismal injury talk, a lot of hurt players. So let's talk about some guys that have done done well. Uh, and, and you touched on him last week. You talked about how he did a, he did a great job in the scripted portion, and it was pretty pretty average after. And I'm you know, who I'm talking about here is rookie Carson Wentz from North Dakota State. The Bison uh, had another nice week in week two, uh, and seemed to, to my sort of. Uh, untrained quarterback AI kind of looked like he took a took a nice step forward they looked like they let him do a few more things uh took a monster hit on the sideline though one that uh, he'll probably <laughs> learn to get down on again next time but uh what'd you see from Carson things you liked things you didn't um look again I think Carson has, has continued to handle himself with poise I think he probably got a little bit better uh from week one to week two but I don't know that he played any better of an opponent um it was his first road test primetime game the fact of the matter is the bears are awful and they suffered so many injuries on the defensive side of the football i mean first off pernell mcsee was already out lamar houston tears his acl danny trevathan gets injured adrian amos thumb also thumb Um, also callahan (laughs) yeah Yeah, so so there was there was a number of injuries that they sustained and and their defense is just limping along in that game so Again, a bad team. I don't know how much you can really take from it. Um, and, and if you look at the actual game plan, what he's asked to do, look, they rushed for almost 150 yards combined when you look at the two backs. Um, did you ever see a seven-step drop once? No. Uh, they got the ball no, much of it. quick. It was a lot of three-step screen, quick, quick passing game. He didn't throw over the middle much either. A lot of safe throws to the outside. Um, they, they pushed the ball down the field a little bit. Um, and, and for the most part, it was wide open when he was. I thought he took a couple chances um, that he's got to be careful of against the better defense because I think he'll come up on, on the wrong side of that in the future uh, when you're not playing the Bears secondary. Uh, and another thing is he's got to learn how to slide in the pocket and avoid some of those big hits. He, he Look, it, it's great. Everyone, you know, he's a big guy. He can take some of the hits. He's not going to be able to maintain his health and stay healthy. He already got hurt in the first preseason game. That's why we didn't see him the rest of preseason. So, Ribs. you know, he's got to learn – some of those fine tuning things that you have to learn as a quarterback to slide, still still get the ball off uh, and be able to get rid of the ball and throw it away when nothing's there. Not try to extend the play and take the big hit. Like you had mentioned, I just think more, more, you know, consideration needs to be given to Doug Peterson, John D flip of the quarterback coach, the job that they've done and not only putting together a game plan that allows them to be successful, but, but really playing to his strengths, not putting too much on his plate. You know, I think his transition from college to NFL has been easy because he's doing the exact same things he was doing in college. He's, he's checking, yeah. he's running audibles, he's signaling, he's changing protections, he's identifying the middle linebacker for the run block and for the pass protection. So uh, even some of the drops are similar. So a lot of the things he's doing, they're not foreign to him. Uh, so I think the transition has been easier. But uh, I don't think he's been challenged quite yet. And I think he will be this week because he's got to go play the Pittsburgh Steelers. They will take away the run game. They're much better against um, the, the running game. And he's going to have to possibly play from behind something that he really hasn't had to deal with since playing both the Browns uh, and, and playing against the Bears. So we'll, we'll see what kind of quarterback he is when he's got a ton of pressure and he's not able to play with the lead and able to run the football. Yeah, and one thing I'll sort of say, not necessarily as defense, but just sort of as a matter of context, uh, that that I, I, you know, beyond just the the technicalities of what he's doing better, the, the scheme stuff they're giving him, I, I, I thought that you used the word poise. I thought – one thing that was evident to me is that he wasn't sort of the moment wasn't too big. I know it's cliche. I feel like I've been using that phrase a lot in the Jimmy world here lately, but uh, the one thing that 
I, people here in North Dakota State, and I think people are familiar with them from sports centers because they seem to upset someone each and every year, Iowa this year. Uh, but North Dakota State plays in this place called the Fargo Dome that if you watch game day, they used it a few years ago. Uh, but uh, it, I will say this uh, pretty confidently that having played in both Soldier Field and, and, and uh, Lincoln Financial or whatever it is there in Philly, uh, the the atmosphere in in the Fargo Dome, which is only seats about twenty two twenty three thousand people, but it, it has kind of an arena football feel. He is very acclimated to incredibly wild environments that I think, at least as an opponent, now he wouldn't have experienced it as a home player, but it can be as daunting as as anything he would see in the NFL. It, it sounds silly. I know it's a lot less people, but it's packed on top of you. Even even though the offense, you know, should get the quieter portion, it's so friggin' loud in that building. And it's such a wild, cool environment that I I I, I still list that as one of the coolest places I've ever played, even with all the other NFL venues. We the fraction of the people. It's just a it's a cool environment. So I, I felt like that was a guy that, you know, it, it is North Dakota State, but People aren't very familiar with what goes on up there, but it's a little different. So he shouldn't be uh, he shouldn't be affected by crowds for or against him. So anyway, moving on here, uh, this this is the surprise of the week for me, and I'm, I'm we're not really doing a segment on surprises, just that as we plow through these quarterbacks, this was one where. You know, we do a lot of shows last year. We did a lot of Chip Kelly talk. We talked about the fit with Sam Bradford there at quarterback and some of the sideways running. Me and Brady Papinga got into a lot with the scheme stuff there with DeMarco Murray and all this stuff. And how did Sam fit it? And Sam really seemed to ride the roller coaster, although his final numbers were, were awfully productive. But he's the kind of player that, you know, I had some appreciation for when he's in St. Louis had had an impressive year or two there. Uh, I know you've had some contact with him as, as a teammate, I believe, but uh, I I still would probably categorize it myself as a guy who, when I see great weeks, there's that little thing in the back of my head says, wait, there might be a one that's a little rougher ahead. Uh, I say that and having watched the other night's game, I was really impressed. And, and, you know, I, I'm a fan of Sean Hills as well. I think he's a super steady guy, but I, I, Notice the difference between the kind of throws they asked from Sean in week one and then and then what you saw out of out of uh, uh, Sam in week two. Some real dimes, some stuff that I, I kind of didn't remember him doing, <laughs> at least in a couple of years. So uh, what was sort of your impression of Sam Bradford? And is it completely, uh, I don't know, is it way too over the top for me to say that I think I saw, uh, you tell me, I, I saw Sam Bradford have his some of the more impressive throws. And I think I even saw from Teddy, it's just that Bridgewater became a much more steady presence and wasn't asked to do nearly as much. Do, do things change there now with Sam or are they able to will open it up? Or is, is that too far because of the inconsistency? Well, I, I think this is really what North Turner wanted for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, this is the direction their offense was going anyways. I mean, look, Adrian Peterson is, is an aging running back. I think are his best days ahead of him. No, they're, they're probably behind him. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from him. I think he's a Hall of Fame, right. has had, had a Hall of Fame career. Uh, but that's just the truth of the matter. Father time gets the best of us all. And unfortunately, now he's dealing with another injury. Uh, but in regards to Sam Bradford, I think we talked about poise uh, with Carson Wentz. What about poise with a guy who's basically been there for all of, what, 12 days? And he just steps behind yeah. center. It's amazing. Um, like he's been doing it the entire training camp and preseason. And, you know, he's, he's got to learn new terminology and all that. I'm sure he is. Uh, familiar with the concepts and, and some of the reads, but in the end, still being able to communicate that uh, to the guys in the huddle and then being able to execute it at such a high level um, versus a Green Bay Packers team who a lot of people kind of thought were you know one of the top teams in the NFC. I think they still are. 
And, and, and they're yeah. a better defensive team that I think people want to give them credit. And you go back and you look at that game, and right off from the get-go, they wanted to get Sam Bradford confidence in going early, and they started throwing the football. I want to say it was three straight throws to start the game off. And you look at the stats for Peterson, 12 carries, 19 yards. You go back to week one as well, and, and they didn't necessarily run the football overly well versus the Titans. So, you know, this, this really has been the culmination of, of what I think the Minnesota Vikings are getting t- closer towards. But Stefan Diggs, Cal Rudolph, Charles Johnson stepped up, Steelen's been a nice role player. And I think Laquan Treadwell, their first-round pick, who hasn't even had an impact yet, you know, he's going to eventually get in the mix, and he'll have an impact. So when you're looking at this team right now, I think it's pretty interesting because you know they give up a first-round pick ne- in next year's draft and a conditional fourth in the following yeah. year for Bradford because they felt like they were in a good spot to make a run at the NFC. I think they're right. I think Rick Spielman made the right move. I think it paid off. You, know, you go back and look at Sam Bradford and him complaining about the fact that they drafted – or traded up to draft Carson Wentz, and then they signed Chase Daniel. You know, he, he feels like at this point in his career, if he can just stay healthy, he's very capable of putting up big numbers and having success. I mean, you go back to 2013, which it's ironic how this kind of comes into play with the week, uh, the matchup they have coming up this week, but it's 2013. Right. You know, he's playing great football, and he ends up tearing his ACL, I believe, on a non-contact injury at Carolina. Ironically enough, who do they play this week? Carolina. I think it's the first time he'll be back since tearing his ACL down there. Um, that being said, though, you know, you go back to last year. In a different system, he still puts up the best uh, numbers he had as far as completion percentage and yards. So I think he, he's been trying to make the case for himself that if he's just healthy, he can be a franchise quarterback. And I, and I think he proved that so far in week one. Now, whether or not he'll be able to do that in week two is another story. I think, you know, it'll only get harder for them, obviously, with Green Bay in the division. It's a, it's a tough battle. They've got to go to Green Bay to kind of get that win where Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are tough. But you, you've got to feel pretty comfortable with where Sam Bradford is at as far as his ability to anticipate some of the throws. I mean, dropping absolute dimes to Stephon Diggs, things that usually yeah, take months and maybe even a, a year of, of, of you know preparation and practice. And it seemed like he got it within almost less than two weeks. And But the other element to all this, though, is you know, he took a couple, a couple hits. And I was thinking two things. One, is this offensive line good enough to hold up without a running game? I don't know that they are. Um, and the other element to all this, too, is, you know, he took a couple of hits where, like, Alex Boone was pulling him up. I don't know how quickly he would have gotten up if Boone didn't <laughs> right. grab him and pull him up off the ground. I saw that. It looked like a couple of them. He wanted to kind of soak it up a little bit on the ground. So um, they they got to be careful with how many hits he sustains, and, and maybe that's more meaningful now than ever considering they're going up against the Carolina Panthers on the road. Yeah, you sort of touched on the point of, uh, you know, can he, can, are they really built to deal with that? Because it's been sort of Peterson's team for a while, regardless of who the coordinator was. I know Norm would, Norm, excuse me, would like to do different things, but they, they really get a lot of big dudes. They really get a lot of the old Phil Loho. I know he's not there anymore, but a lot of their, their body types, Khalil's more of a dancing bear, but some I'm I'm blanking on some of the other guys there. Well, Andre Smith. Andre Smith is definitely a bull. He's not he's not a super athlete. But the point is, I think they always sort of drafted and and signed in free agency guys that fit that mold of more you know space movers. And then you know, let's well, not they're not going to have to 
block for seven step drop a lot. They're going to get shorter yardage plays and it's going to be a play action blocking group. But wow, if you have to change dramatically because it fits Sam's strength and he's dropping those dimes and he just looks like he's an open up the offense kind of thing. These, these bulls <laughs> in extended pockets that they have to protect for, you wonder how it'll match up. And, you know, again, I, what are they going to be able to do with is it Jerick McKinnon and uh, Asada, I guess, would be the other back potentially to get carries. Are they just going to sort of yeah. go s- split them or just try to plow ahead and have a Peterson-type plan just within the absence of Peterson? Uh, does the, does uh, the tight end get the ball more? I mean, I've always been for the last several years wondering when Kyle Rudolph was going to get more involved because he seems like a like a pretty talented dude as well. But anyway, how they go will be interesting to see because it, it could be nine day and it, it might be one of the situations. Well, wow, cool, great, Sam is awesome, but does he fit what they're built to do? And maybe we'll see. But uh, interesting story there. We'll see where it rolls. Uh, one last thing here, I wanted to kind of hit on, on that's. Uh, a little different than the quarterback stuff, but we, we had a week of football or two weeks of football. Now I, I was thinking a year ago where there were some teams that had started to sort of separate themselves defensively from the pack. You know, you kind of get the, 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 the Carolina was having an incredible year. Denver really put together a group. The chiefs had a nice defensive season. The Patriots were really another one of those groups that were out there that I don't think I've mentioned a lot, but they put together an incredible stretch games. We're two weeks in and, uh, some of those teams that you usually mentioned uh, that were just sort of like, you know, your stalwarts defensively, Seattle's had an okay run, but the offense has been so uh, inept, I guess, that it's tough to you know specifically judge one other side. Arizona was a group a year ago that was just really a top D that had a rough first game there against Jimmy Garoppolo and the crew and seemed to bounce back a week ago. But I'm just curious sort of from your eyeball – if you know, in a super snapped out judgment, I know we're overacting here because it's pretty quick, but any sort of surprises out there or groups that have kind of made the jump, I'll throw you mine out as we go. I, Pittsburgh Steelers defense looks different. I thought they would have been a liability or at least sub, you know, steel curtain the last couple of years. They seem to improve. Is there something out there where you're like, wow, okay, we've got a new top 10 defense or we've got a group that was in there that it's playing even above that. Yeah, it's interesting. One team that's really come together that I didn't know that they would this quick. They made a lot of moves in the offseason was the New York Giants. I mean, they essentially won that game uh, with the defensive uh, dominance, you know, and then as far as they purchased the defense. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and when, you, when you look at some of those purchases and how they're working out, whether it's Olivier Vernon, who's getting pressure off the edge, is a nice compliment to JPP or even, you know, really Hankins inside next to Damon uh, Harrison. I mean, it's really tough to run the football versus those guys. And then you look at their linebackers. I mean, look, Kelvin Shepard and, and Casillas, I mean, those guys, they're a fast flow linebackers. They are getting after yep. it. Lennon Collins is slimmed down. He looks better at the safety position, both in coverage and it gets run. And, and Janoris Jenkins, I mean, and he's, he's solid. I mean, Eli Apple's even stepped up a little bit. And, you know, Rogers Cromartie is, is what he is. And Leon Hall even stepped up, made a play. I mean, you're looking at this defense, you're kind of thought to yourself, all right, you know, they haven't really, you know, worked with each other that much, um, but are they going to have that big of an impact? Yeah. this are, It's week two. They're already having a big impact, and they look to be one of the top defenses. And, you know, you, you mentioned Seattle. Look, Seattle's still, statistically speaking, number one in the NFL right now. Um, I, I know they lost to L.A., but, I mean, hell, they gave up three three field goals. <laughs> exactly. And that was kind of, like you had mentioned, more, more of the uh, – their offense not being able to do much. Uh, but New York, right. the, the Giants are kind of the surprise. Uh, I think outside of that, 
Um, there haven't been too many surprises in my mind as far as good. I actually think the Chiefs are one that was a bit surprising to me, um, you know, how poor they played week one versus the San Diego Chargers. Look, I understand, um, you know, Houston's not back yet, but I, I just thought this is a group that's played together for a long period of time. I thought they'd be better. And, you know, Phillip Rivers pretty much lit them up. And it's not for Alex Smith and his heroic effort in overtime. Uh, the Chargers are are winning that game, they, and they might be 2-0 and right now uh, when you look at the way they stomped on uh, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, and maybe really that's the team that I'm kind of looking at saying they've got an improved defense. They're playing better uh, in San Diego than I thought they would, and I think it's in large part yes. because of their defense because they've always had the production from Phillip Rivers. Uh, it doesn't matter who's out there. He's, he's slinging that thing, and, and the ball's coming to him. It's going to hit you in the face if you don't catch it. So it's really the def- it's really the defense for the Chargers that I thought has, has really come around, and I think you got to you got to give the coaching staff credit too to kind of building on that and allowing those guys to keep having confidence in themselves because everyone's been kind of dogging them and down on them for quite some time. Yeah, I would look at uh, one group that I'm going to kind of keep my eye on that that I'd made a lot of a lot of notice of them a year ago that the Cincinnati Bengals uh, for the weapons and, you know, so many options for, for Andy Dalton. And, you know, they're so deep, they're three, four deep and they're just mismatches in the backfield and all this stuff. But the defense always often didn't get talked about as much. And, and Geno Atkins and, and then Michael Johnson, some of the, just a really deep group, a really deep secondary as well. They're, they were really good and, and had the ability to go into different packages and really be dangerous. And I came into this year thinking, you know what? I think they're going to take a step back offensively. They did lose last week at at Pittsburgh, but it actually ended up being a pretty good defensive struggle for both teams. And I mentioned Pittsburgh on the front end of this to say that I think, you know what, they're closer to, to being a top defense again. They're supposed to be back to what their old identity was. Uh, but I also kind of think that, they, that that Cincinnati sits in that same realm where they might not be a team that's going to score 30 every week, but that defense often gets overlooked, and I think they're they're right in the mix there as well. But yeah, I, I like that you did touch, though, on some of the ones that were a little bit surprising, disappointing. Uh, I, I was actually putting Jacksonville in that category of, holy, holy cow, they've got talent. Uh, there's a highlight player, too, from, from each of their games defensively, but then there's a lot of bad drives, too. And there was a lot of sort of relented points that you wouldn't have expected. And yeah. uh, I think you kind of put the Jets in that same category, quite frankly. The Jets have an eight-sack game, seven-sack game, whatever it was. Statistically, yeah. uh, you know, from the, some of the disruptive plays of the Jets, uh, been incredible. But then you go up and they've given up, you know, 30 points in one game and 20 in another, 20 mid-20s in another game. And, you know, the one-play drive when you, you really don't expect Darrell Rivas to give up plays like that like he did to Marquise Goodwin. But uh, those are a yeah. couple defenses there, those two that I kind of expect more from. And I, I guess we'll see them if they can right their ship. We're, yeah, we're talking here only one, after one two more, weeks. Um, one more that I think you, you'd be remiss if we don't mention, the Oakland Raiders. I mean, all the hype yeah. around that. All defense, that talk. Will Mack and Bruce Irvin, yeah. And a 1,000 yeah. yards in two weeks they've given up. Will <laughs> uh, Mack has yet yeah. to have a sack. Um, you know, you go back and you look at that team right now, and they're struggling in large part because their defense hasn't taken the stride. And all that talk talking about how they were the second coming of the Denver Broncos, guess what? You weren't even close because the Denver Broncos are still winning games with their defense. And, and so far the Oakland Raiders have been disappointing their offense and not literally living up to their end of the bargain. So they need to figure some things out. And, and Ken Norton Jr. is the defensive coordinator. He needs to figure some stuff out, or Jack Del Rio might need to get more involved. 
and give those guys a better opportunity to get after opposing passers, mix some looks up, mix some coverages up, do something different because they're too vanilla and they're too predictable right now. Yeah, it's it's a good point, and I always it always makes me wonder when the team is led by such heavy defensive per- personalities, guys like Jack Del Rio and Norton that Ken Norton that also obviously know the game very well. It's just got to eat at you when that's the part of the game that just that, that stinks for you. I always think of you know like it's like the it's like the Ravens or or uh, the Patriots in the event that either of those teams ever give up points on special teams, you just tends to grade on them a little bit more because those are two former special teams coaches, you know, guys that have that background. And, and then when that parts the weak link in your team, it just kills you. Uh, and I think it eats you a little more. And again, you, you touched on it. I think the reason this one feels a little hotter out there is because there's so much talk. It's just, it's, it's lesson number 10,000 to just let's let them play the games, you know, let's not start awarding yeah. or crowning anything in, in the middle of, of May and June. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's all we got for today's show, but just as we kind of head out, I'm, I'm curious uh, where your eyeballs are going to be uh, any particular game this weekend. That's sort of an intriguing matchup that you're going to, going to have your eyes on a little bit more that might not be a real obvious pick. Uh, Baltimore, Jacksonville. Uh, you've got the two huh. Baltimore Ravens and a lot of people, I know, right. You said not a lot, not a lot of people are going to be looking at. This is a must win for the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and Gus Bradley. I mean, and really, when you look at this team right now, they're 0-2. I think the home loss versus Green Bay, they kind of took us like a moral victory. Then you go out to San Diego and lay an absolute egg. That just, to me, shows there's really been no growth. The defense hasn't really performed, again, the way they were hyped up to before the season. And now you, you've got another home game versus a 2-0 opponent, the Baltimore Ravens. And this is going to be a tough battle for them because – to me, I think the Ravens are a lot better than people give them credit. And I think they're going to earn that 3-0 and record and become another legitimate contender, not only in the AFC North, but really in the AFC playoff picture. I think you're going to see the AFC North possibly send three teams this year uh, with whoever doesn't win the division and it being the two wildcard teams, uh, if not for the New York Jets. Uh, but I think this could be a really rough start for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, they've got to go, I think, to London. I forget who they play over there. Maybe the Colts. Um, but but you kind of look at. I think they get half. I think get half their schedule in London. Just guessing. <laughs> yeah. So 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 you're looking at the, like this game. And you're saying, dude, if Gus Bradley doesn't win this, like he's gonna he's gonna be for sure on the hot seat. I know they talked about not wanting to fire uh, him during the season, but I'm not necessarily. I wouldn't be shocked if they did, based on them getting off to such a slow start. And maybe it's Doug Marone ends up taking over as the interim head coach. But I mean, right now, I, I hate being speculative. But that's a game I am very, very intent on watching because I, I want to see if Baltimore's for real. And I, I want to see if Jacksonville can respond after, after two losses uh, to open the season. Well, this makes no sense again, but my eyes are drawn to a game that's actually kind of quarterback interest again because I want to know what the hell is going on with Kirk Cousins. And, and I, you know, <laughs> he's actually one of our locks a week ago. Uh, you know, we, we, he's the one game that kind of pushed us over having a winning week. And with the the red zone interception, you know, deep there, then through the pick, uh, it's the one team where yeah, I was excited about him going to the year, saying you know, you know, another another year for Crowder, uh, maybe Reed getting you know, uh, you know, featured a little bit more. They did move on from one running back, but I, I felt like they had some depth there. Some younger guys were going to get carries. Now I just thought, you know what, hey, this is a team that's ready to take the jump. They made the right decision. They keep the quarterback. They gave him some money, but not a ton. Uh, they're going to they're going to let this thing roll and let it breathe and and do the right thing. And it's just going to be a, a Redskins 
growth year or whatever, but man, it's been a couple bad weeks. So uh, they face the Giants. So they get back to back division games and it's in New York. And I, which is interesting because I think if I looked at this game in the preseason and just looked at the schedule, I'm thinking, oh, McAdoo with this, you know, uh, getting, you know, Eli Manning super involved with, you know, it's going to be a 500 yard game for him and something like that for Kurt. And it'll be one of those. 50 40 games like if you're playing the saints or whatever but uh i'm not so sure as i look at this now and uh, as you mentioned earlier the giants are playing great defense and maybe they're not a team that's going to hang up 30 uh maybe they're not a team that's going to you know have all the circus catches and really be the one moving the ball it's going to be more just more deliberate and maybe that's where washington's got to go and you hear some of the locker room sniping and you know maybe it's not put up a bunch of points maybe it's just play smart <laughs> and play a little bit better defense yeah. and get a win but so there's going to be movement based on whatever whatever goes down in that particular game. Yeah, real so quick, what, uh, what, oh, go I, for it. I, I just want to say one more thing off, off the top of that. You know, I, I don't know how you feel, but like the culture of the locker room in, in Washington, to me, they have a real, they have a real issue because this is the same oh. thing with RG3. You know, there's rumbling that's come from the locker room and all of a sudden you're saying, all right, like maybe RG3 is kind of a bad guy or something's going on there. He's not a good leader. And, and now it's Kirk Cousins because they all were wanting Kirk Cousins to be, be the guy then. Now he is the guy. Right, and right. you're sitting there saying to yourself, you know, is the backup always going to be the favorite there in Washington amongst the guys in the locker room? And I think I know which player is upset. And if I have to name a name, it's going to be Deshaun Jackson because he hasn't been targeted quite as much. But, you know, he needs to take up his argument with the front office because they're the ones that drafted Josh Dotson in the first round this year. Uh, and they targeted yep. him a number of times this past week in the red zone. So uh, they should be gripe, you know, griping with, with Kirk Cousins and his play or whatever else. They need to focus on themselves and focus on working together because they didn't pay Kirk Cousins $20 million to be in franchise tag him this year to all of a sudden put him on the bench and have Cole McCoy go in and play. He's going to be the quarterback the, the rest of the season. Uh, and he's going to have to play his way through this little bit of a slump right now. Well, I'll say this is as, as sort of, we go out here, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. You actually brought that point up and I, I forgot to, to mention it, but it was something when I first saw it, I was like, you know what? Two games, buddy, who, 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 who are you in the locker room that went to some, corner reporter and complained about your quarterback are you kidding me i wish the sniping one i heard was something about that at least colt mccoy would play with uh you know i don't know what i remember was composure or something like that i think is what the quote was but yeah uh, Yeah. good lord two games and you're jumping ship as much of a happy place as that was a year ago for all the turnaround and that to me is the kind of situation where you go into a team meeting room maybe leave the coaches out and you make the dude raise his hand I mean, like legitimately, yeah. I, I haven't been around places where locker room leaks were really allowed. I, I think that's crazy. I think the idea that, you know, okay, you said some shit to a reporter, stand up and say it now to him. He's right here. You know, I, I always think that's better, but that's maybe that's just me and maybe confrontation is more my thing. But I, I'm just, I don't get that. Like it really drives me nuts when, when, you know, you find one guy to go find the one reporter that knows he can get something out of a guy or call you at home or something like that and start some controversy. What, two weeks into the season and you're making your quarterback, your, your quarterback preferences known to a reporter. Are you kidding me? Ah, That stuff, that stuff rubs me the wrong way. And I'm sure as a quarterback, you're wouldn't be thrilled with it either, but uh, who you got this weekend, Brady working for college. What do you got? I've actually got an early game. Friday night, I've got uh, USC traveling out to Salt Lake City to take on the Utes, number 24 in the country. So should be a fantastic game. Um, USC just announced that Sam Darnold will now be the starting quarterback, redshirt freshman. Uh, and i got to be honest, uh, not, not to draw a huge comparison, but kind of reminds me a little bit of Aaron Rodgers when he was at Cal as far as his release uh-huh. and footwork 
and, and really his athleticism. So I'm excited to see them play. Um, Utah had 10 sacks last week versus San Jose State. So tough sledding for a redshirt freshman, first start on the road at night versus a, a very good uh, pass rushing team. That'll be a fun one. I've, I've heard good things. I've never actually been to a game at Utah, but I, I think that's kind of a cool venue. It's a place that packs it in. It's, it's, uh, it's different. It's not, it's not your, your, your normal big house type stuff, but I think they get pretty good crowds there. I, uh, I've got personally, I've got, uh, I got back to back Boston college games and they got annihilated a week ago in Blacksburg by Virginia tech <laughs> and, uh, was not even mildly competitive. And now I, and this is, this drives me nuts. And clearly I will not be saying this on the air, uh, at the game, but you know, they're, they're playing a team Wagner, you know, an FCS school, which is teams have doing this, they've done this and it's, it's not exclusive to Boston college by any stretch, but I've seen this in the sec, big 10 teams have done this, uh, even, you know, all up and down the ACC, not just scheduling an FCS program. Cause it's one thing to go down, uh, you know, like a North Dakota state playing big 10, you know, playing Iowa, we go, or maybe you catch an app state or a Youngstown, which is a, you know, traditionally a pretty competitive FCF. But when you go into, you know, two or three conferences into the FCF group and play teams that have struggled within even those conferences. Boston College is playing a team that when you sit down to watch their film, uh, if you play for Boston College, you're watching game film of a Division Two team that, that Wagner played. And then last week was against an NAI team. You're playing in the ACC. <laughs> How can you possibly get anything off of that tape? So maybe they go out and win 100 to nothing or something this week or or maybe it's, you know, 45 to zero or it's 45 to seven or it's kind of sort of competitive. I just don't get why teams do that. Like, I just feel like it might, I don't know, it might actually harm you by, by playing the game. But I got them this week and then Boston College in a real game the week after. But not to, it sounds like I'm really, you know, denigrating Wagner. I mean, it'll be a great experience for those kids. But I, I personally just don't get why why teams do that but anyhow wonderful show thank you buddy have a great week and uh take care that's all we got today sounds good talk to you next week see you boss i'll see you thanks so much for listening to the football by football podcast as always the fbf podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com you can download the fbf podcast on itunes stitcher and on the TuneIn radio app for daily insightful stuff from guys like Rock, myself, make sure you check out footballbyfootball.com. Check out our Facebook page and also give us a follow on Twitter at FBBYF. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.